Thanks, heaps, Tweak. Awesome. Great to be with you tonight. Uh, we are continuing in our series in the book of Titus. And um, I was reflecting this week on the passage as I was reading it. And I was reflecting on the fact how uh, sometimes in life it can be easier to explain what not to do than what to do. And um, I was thinking about this in the case of like a microwave, okay? It's sometimes easier to explain what not to put in a microwave than it is to explain what to put in a microwave. And I was thinking about how uh, when I was younger, when I was about nine or so, one particular night, I remember really struggling to get ice cream out of the punnet. It was just really frozen. I was really struggling, um, nine-year-old me, really struggling to, to get what I des- my heart desired. And I had the idea of... Um, I know, I'll put the spoon in the microwave so it heats up and then I'll be able to, I'll be able to just easily get the ice cream out. Just brilliant nine-year-old logic. And um, you can imagine my horror when I looked back in the microwave after putting the spoon in and seeing like a disco rave party happening inside the microwave and sparks like flying everywhere. Um, just recently, I, I, I didn't do it again. I didn't put a spoon in the microwave, but I put a frozen chili in the microwave and, and thought nothing of it. I thought I'd just defrost this chili. And um, it turns out you're not meant to put chilies in microwaves either. They start, it started to pop and burn. And then I opened it and it was, it, apparently it's like actual pepper spray, like when you open the microwave. So no metal, no metal spoons and no chili, okay? It's sometimes better to explain what not to do than... Um, than what to do. And, and this is exactly what we read in Titus 1, verses 10 to 16. Um, last week, we looked at uh, Titus 1, verses 1 to 10. And um, it, it, in that passage, it talks about all the things that a good Christian leader should be, all the things that a good Christian leader should do. And, um, and so now we come to the part where it's, it's talking about all the things that a Christian leader should not be and should not do. So let's turn now, let's read Titus 1, uh, verses 10 to 16. It says, For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Um, if you were with us last week, um, Pastor, Pastor David introduced us to the letter of, of, to Titus from Paul. Um, but just to recap a little bit in case you missed it, Titus is kind of like an apprentice to Paul. Um, he's a bit of a protege and he accompanied Paul um, when Paul went to Jerusalem to present the gospel. And even though Titus's name doesn't appear in the book of Acts, um, Titus surfaces in Paul's letters as a, as a trusted member 
of, of Paul's inner circle. And so as, um, as his apprentice, Paul entrusts him to lead a church on the island of Crete. Um, Paul is essentially teaching Titus to go and do kind of like the hard work, the grunt work of uh, turning this group of individual believers into a cohesive whole. Um, the thing about Crete, though, is it's just off of uh, the coast of Corinth. And if, if you know anything about Corinth or the letters to the Corinthians, Corinth is this um, really wealthy but really uh, terrible kind of place. Like it's this really immoral place. Um, and so Crete is this island just off of Corinth, and it also has a really terrible reputation. In fact, verse 12 of, of uh, Titus 1 um, quotes a famous ancient proverb about Crete. It says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This was, this was um, someone who, who uh, noticed this about Crete, and then it became a bit of like uh, the reputation that this island had. And uh, this place, Crete, was this prosperous business center, um, which it, it fostered greed and consumption, and um, was this, just this terribly immoral place. And it wasn't long until all of these vices started to enter into the church and make their way into the church. The other thing about um, the church of Crete is that it wasn't just one place and one building and one congregation as such. There was lots of smaller house churches all around the island. So there's lots of little individual house churches that were all being led by an elder. And this is why, this is why um, Paul writes to Titus so much about what it means to have a good elder and to have a bad elder, because it was the elder's responsibility to look after the spiritual health, to teach and to preach and to make sure that the household church that they were leading um, stayed on the right track. And so obviously when these elders became corrupted and led astray and started doing immoral things, the whole house church that they were leading suffered as a part of that. Hence, Paul references um, to these false teachers disrupting whole households. That's what he means by that, the whole household church that the elder was leading. And uh, Paul even points out that certain people of influence were finding ways to, to enjoy personal gain by tweaking doctrine. And um, in these times, elders of these house churches received pay for, um, for their work as, as leading and, and um, for their time and, and whatsoever so they could um, devote themselves to that job. But some of these elders were starting to realise that if, if they preached a certain um, type of doctrine or if they, they twisted things a little bit in, in favour of some in their households, they would get financially rewarded for it. And so they started to twist some of the doctrine that they were, they were sharing. They started to teach some things that weren't quite right, but it made the really rich people happy so the rich people would pay the elders more. So not only are these elders twisting doctrine and um, doing these, you know, with false teachings and, and leading households astray, but they're doing so for money. They're doing so for personal gain. Um, obviously not ideal, obviously not good, um, not a good thing that's happening here. And so um, Paul writes to Titus and he, and he says, look, um, this is what you need to look out for, all right? You, who you pick as your elders is so important, 
And uh, he, he, tells, he tells Titus, this is what makes a good elder, which, which um, David covered last week. But then he says to Titus, this is what you need to watch out for. Okay, here's all the stuff that you need to be so aware of and so vigilant of. This is the type of behavior you need to watch out for. And if you see it, you need to silence it. You need to get on top of it and you need to stop it. Otherwise, it's going to spread and it's going to have massive effects. Not only that, not only do you need to stop it, but you need to teach these false teachers how to actually um, be sound in their faith. So Titus, he has this massive task in front of him. He has this huge task, a, real, a, a huge purpose to turn this, um, these congregations in, in Crete around and to, to um, raise up good leaders, but then also you know, look out for the bad leaders. And Paul is pretty much saying, you've got a, you've got a huge task ahead of you. Like there's, there's a lot going on here, but still with God's favour, with God's help, um, we will... We will um, turn this, this island around. We will, we will see God's providence in this place. And so we're going to look at these things. We're going to, we're going to look at what, what is Paul telling Titus? Um, it, what is he explaining bad leadership as? What is he describing false teaching as? Because times haven't changed as, as, as much. I know, I know obviously a lot, a lot has changed since, um, since the time of the New Testament, but still, Human nature hasn't changed a whole lot. We still see um, these things in, in, our, in our church sphere. So what are the characteristics of false teaching that Paul warns Titus about and how can we then be on the lookout for false teaching? There's, there's three main things really about a false teacher that Paul tells Titus about. He says, number one, they refuse the authority of the apostles. So they're rebellious, they're insubordinate. Number two, their behavior doesn't match their words. They are described as talkers, mere talkers or empty talkers. And number three, they lead others astray for financial gain because they themselves are deceived. They are deceivers. And uh, whilst these characteristics weren't uncommon to Crete society, they were commonplace there, the issue was they were creeping into the church. They were, get, they, were, they were getting into the church and, and disrupting things and turning people away um, from truth in Christ. One commentator, Robert Wall, says this, these teachers usher in spiritual chaos rather than order, subvert the gospel truth rather than champion it, and bring mischief into Christian households rather than encouragement and edification. So Paul warns Titus, he says, look out for those whose doctrine is subverting the gospel of Christ. And this is so important for us today as well. We need to be so on guard with this. By subverting, I mean, they undermine the power and authority of the gospel by bringing in extra things, by adding additional rules, additional details, additional things, additional hoops to jump through. Um, rather than um, the truth of the gospel. And what we're talking about here is more than just, um, it's more than just interpretational differences. You know, there's, there's whole schools of, of, of debate over um, theology and, and all the rest, and, and they all sort of fit, you know, mostly at least um, within, a, they all agree at least um, on the most part with doctrinal truths about Christianity. But Paul is saying 
well, he in, is indicating that these are more than just interpretational differences. There are, these are some core differences that are happening. And it could have been that they were preaching that uh, maybe Christ wasn't God or they were preaching that Christ didn't, um, didn't die and rose again, things like that. We're not told exactly what they were, but the severity of Paul's tone tells us that these were, these were really um, um, dramatic things and really important, essential issues to Christianity. And I was thinking about it for us today in, in, the, in the church, and I, I think potentially some things for us that we need to watch out for is um, there's, there's two things. It, one of them is um, the preaching of a gospel of legalism. I don't know if this was how, how it went down in, in um, the church of Crete or whatever, but um, we, we need to be aware of, of a gospel of legalism being spoken into our lives. And a gospel of legalism is essentially that our salvation, our right standing with Christ comes from our own human merit, our own ability to, to do the right things. Legalism is... Here's the list of, of how to, to get into heaven or how to get into relationship with, with God. Um, and you need to follow those to a T. And if you step out of line, well, it's not looking good for you. You know, there's, it, you really need to be, make sure you're doing everything right all the time or else um, you'll, you'll, you won't make it. Verse 14 in, um, in this uh, passage says, um, tells us that there are some who have been adding Jewish myths and man-made commandments to the gospel. So they're adding in extra rules, extra caveats, extra hoops to jump through, like extra things to do, rather than relying on grace in Christ, faith in Christ and His grace. Now, it doesn't take long to see how a gospel of legalism um, isn't exactly um, a, a gospel at all, because gospel means good news and uh, a gospel of legalism isn't good news at all, really, when you think about it. It's, it leaves you heavy. Um, it leaves you feeling guilty and, and, and um, makes you resent God, in a sense. It makes you turn away from Him because you're like, I just can't, I can't measure up. The opposite that we need to be aware of as well is, is a gospel of license. And again, I don't know if this was exactly preached, but there, there seems to be a sort of a... Um, uh, a sense of, of, it could be something like this. And the gospel of license is essentially, now that you're saved, um, now that you're forgiven, you're free to, to, to do whatever you like because you're forgiven and it doesn't matter what you do with your life after that. And the gospel of license is, um, you are your own God. Even though you've been saved, God is here to serve you. And you, you just go and do whatever you please, and, and that's great. God will understand. It's really, the, it's really a gospel which doesn't submit to Christ at all, doesn't submit to God, it submits to the self. And so really the gospel of license is essentially empowers the self to walk back into bondage, walk back into sin under the impression that it's free. Imagine, imagine someone chaining themselves, handcuffing themselves with the impression that by doing so they have freedom. That is what the gospel of license is life. Because the old life, the life that we have been saved by Christ from, that is a life that is chained and destined for death. There's no freedom in that life. 
But the new life under Christ's lordship, that is where freedom is found. That is where true freedom is found under his submission. And so both of these things, gospel of license and gospel of legalism, they both crush us. They both leave us um, heavy laden or, or apathetic or, um, or misconstrued in our life. Legalism says you'll never do anything right. License says you can never do anything wrong. And we know that those two things are, are fundamentally contrary to the message of the cross. Romans 5, 8 says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then verse 10 says, Now we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you see how a gospel of legalism doesn't fit here? It doesn't um, work here because um, Christ died for us. There was nothing we could do. There was no amount of, of good works that we could conjure up. There was nothing we could do to um, get this. It was Christ's work for us. And we see as well that the, the gospel of license doesn't fit here as well because it says, now that we have been saved, we don't boast in ourselves. We don't boast in our old lives anymore. We don't boast in the things that we used to do, but we boast in Christ. We now live in Christ, not back in ourselves. I don't know if these were the false teachings that were coming into the church, but I do know that these are, these are some of the false teachings that come into our church or, or the church, the broader church. Um, on earth. I do know that these things can, can sneak in, they creep in and start to affect the way that we, we relate and we, um, we have our relationship with Christ. And so we need to be so on guard with teachings uh, like this. If, if anyone or anything claims, um, or if anyone or anything does not preach, rather, the absolute necessity of Jesus and his grace, then it needs to be approached with, with much caution. I was out um, doing some lawn work uh, not too long ago, and, and ever since um, uh, Lauren and I had a, had a baby, I've just been obsessed with the lawn. I think it's a dad thing. It's just, I just, I wear white shoes and pulled up socks, and I just get out there and get into it. But um, I was looking at the lawn recently, or a fair while back now, but I was looking at it, and as I looked out at the lawn, I kind of thought, it's fine. Like, there's nothing really, you know, it's, it's fine. I can, um, you know, it's green and it's pretty thick here and there. There's a couple of bare patches, but on the, on the most, it's fine. Then I, I got close. I, like, got really into it. I was, you know, it's looking, looking around for weeds and stuff one day. And I noticed this, like, a different type of grass in my, in my lawn. And I was like, oh, I've never really seen that before. I've never really noticed it before. And I, um, I did some Googling and searching, and I, it came up that this type of grass was called carpet grass. And I don't know if there's any lawn fanatics out there, but anyway, carpet grass is this type of grass that looks exactly like just normal, regular buffalo lawn, just normal lawn. But what it does is... is actually ends up, it's, it's a sneaky weed in that it, it gets into the lawn and it spreads these uh, runners all through the lawn. And you don't even, you can't even see the runners. You can only see a couple of leaves here and there. 
And unless you know what to look for, you would never even really think to look for this carpet grass. Like, I don't have great eyesight, but anyway, I'm, I, I'm standing like a couple of metres away from the lawn. I can't even see it. It's only when I get down close and actually have a look. It's only when I knew what to look for that I could see this carpet grass. And so I didn't realise as well how deeply established, as, I, as soon as I saw it, I started seeing it everywhere, all around the lawn. And as I'm pulling these runners out, they, these huge runners are coming out that I'd never seen before. You wouldn't be able to see it unless you'd pull them out. And eventually over time, I was pulling all this carpet grass out. And, and you know, it, um, as I looked into it more, if you, if you want, you can leave it, but it just means you'll have a, an entire lawn of carpet grass. It takes over your, your yard so quickly. Jesus says in Matthew seven fifteen, he doesn't talk about carpet grass, but he does talk about... Um, watching out for false prophets and teachers. He says this, he says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And it got me, it got me thinking about this scenario with, with the lawn, just like weeds in a lawn. They're so deceptive. They just look like everything else. You wouldn't even know. They appear to bring, they appear to look healthy. They appear to, they look, they, you know, they look like anything else in the, in the lawn, but they, cause immense damage. And uh, false teachings undermine the significance of Christ. They, they teach a gospel of, of fear or of hate or of apathy rather than of love and, and of life in Christ. And so we need to be, we need to be encouraged to be so on guard for, for teachings that um, does not point us to Christ, does not point us to the love of Christ. We need to be so aware of this. The other point that Paul makes clear is that these false teachers, they're empty talkers, okay? Their behaviour doesn't match their words. And this is, really, this is really critical because over the last few years, probably many years, but recently there's been sadly just so many um, public downfalls of, of prominent Christian leaders who um, by every sense their, their doctrine was fine and they preached fine and whatever, but their behaviour didn't match up with their words. And we, we, it's, it's so sad. We see pastors involved in, in cases of spiritual abuse and using their powers to intimidate and, and um, using their positions to intimidate and hold power over others and, and having extramarital affairs and, and all the rest. And yeah, usually the doctrines are sound. Usually you wouldn't, they're not exactly preaching that behaviour from the pulpit, you know. But it's their behaviour that reveals their hearts. Verse 16 says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. Jesus says this in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will, if you love me, you will do what I, what, what I direct you to do. You will live out your faith. This is how we can know true teaching from false. Okay, does the teacher in fact embody or, or live in accordance with the gospel of Christ? And we need to be so wary of, 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 of teachers who do not embody the doctrine in which they preach. 
Now, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not trying to incite like a witch hunt here of, of pastors and try and, you know, get you to be like, oh, like, you know, take them all out or whatever. But Paul is drawing us to an incredibly important point here. He's, he's, he's making it so clear. We have to be so wary of the, of the leaders we listen to, who we follow on social media, whose opinion we allow to shape us, whose podcasts we are consuming. We need to be so prudent with, with who we allow to speak into our lives. This is, this is not to pull judgment and, and um, say we tear down leaders when their shortcomings are revealed. Um, we'll get to how we respond in just a moment. But the point is not to withhold love and charity and kindness here. The point is not a free ticket to, um, to, to be incredibly harsh and unloving towards these ones, but to be wise and discerning. Do these leaders I look up to and listen to their podcasts, do they want to know Christ above all else? Do they preach Christ and his love and his grace? Is Christ essential to the message? And do they live out that behavior? Granted, of course they won't get it right all the time, but do they want to? Are they yearning to live this out? A little while ago, um, someone introduced me to uh, maintaining a zero email inbox. I don't know if there's people out there who exist um, I was going to say in sin, but not in, that's pretty intense, but have like 40,000 emails in your inbox. Um, but I was introduced to this, this concept of as soon as an email comes in, you deal with it right then and there. And um, you, um, it means that I'm protective in a sense that if any advertising comes through, if anything comes through to my mailbox that, I, that I'm not interested in or I just is irrelevant to me, I'll take the extra like five seconds to go scroll down the bottom and click unsubscribe. Okay, it takes a bit of time, but it, it's, it's, it's life-changing, I'll tell you that. Um, I used to delete them, but it would just prolong the, you know, you just get more and more. I think that they know, they know when you're deleting them or something like that. <laughs> but I did this because I would find that if an email came through, maybe it was like a discount or a new product or something had come out, it made me think all of a sudden, I need that thing. Has anyone else, you may have had this before. You'd never thought about that product before. Then an email comes in and it has the product and you suddenly go, oh, I do. Maybe I do need that. I know this is just basic advertising. I know how this works. But I mean, what I realized was, um, in a sense, these, these emails were speaking a falsehood into my life. Like they, they would come in and, and project a message to me which would shape my thinking. In our Christian journey, in our faith, the essential voice we need to hear from is Christ. The essential person we need to look to is Christ. He is the cornerstone of our faith. Colossians 3 verse 1 to 3 says, Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Set your hearts on Christ. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Setting our hearts and our minds on Christ means that we look to him first and foremost as our primary teacher, 
as our primary guide, as our, as our only guide, in fact. It's only Christ in others that um, allows us to, um, to be guided by them. All other voices, all, all other things, as helpful as they may be, pale in comparison to him. And so then if a teaching doesn't point you to Christ, we must unsubscribe from it. We must un, uh, stop listening to that thing. Unsubscribe from it. Don't allow it to shape your thought. Just as an email promoting a new TV makes me think I need a new TV, so too can false teachings shape our thoughts and thinking and our attitudes. Again, are there, are there leaders, Christian leaders in your life or Christian influences or whatever in your life that you are listening to who are not pointing you to Christ? Are they, are they in a way just kind of pointing you to themselves, to a theology, to a doctrine, to a, to a something other than Christ? I know this is really ironic that I'm telling you to um, be cautious about what kind of teaching you hear at church because you could just say, well, I need to be cautious then of you. And it's, it's, it's actually true. Like you do, we do in our Christian journeys need to be so cautious and, and test every, um, everything that comes out um, of our teachers' mouths. And I feel this question constantly when I'm writing sermons, you know, like, does this point others to Jesus? Or does this get in the way? Does this illustration kind of just get in the way? Or does it, does it in, a, in a sense, point others to Jesus? And I know that even if I don't get that 100% right, at least I'm in the right direction of knowing that, well, at the end of the day, I just want people to know who Jesus is. And my hope is that we would be people who ask ourselves the same question. Does this thing point me to Jesus? Does this teaching point me to him? Or does it get in the way? So those are the characteristics of false teachers, those who subvert the gospel message for personal gain and those whose actions do not line up with their teachings. Secondly, this is what Paul tells Titus to do about these kind of false teachers. He says, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in faith. Rebuke them so that they will be sound in faith. It's very easy to read um, that portion of, of verses together and think, wow, Paul, you're not, as, you're not being as loving as I thought you could be. You know, you're not being... Um, I don't know, you're being pretty hard. You know, you're referring to old stereotypes about these Cretans being dishonest and evil and lazy. Um, you tell Titus to reprimand and to rebuke um, because they're detestable, disobedient, unfit for anything good. You might read that and go, wow, that's like, that is just so full on. Like that is so harsh. But I want to draw our attention to the second part of the direction to Titus. Paul's intention for the false teachers is to ultimately be restored. The hope of their rebuking is that they would become sound in faith. And the word for, for um, being sound in Greek stands to mean in good health. A healthy faith 
is the aim for these false teachers. That is the goal. That is the hope for them. Restoring spiritual health is Titus's goal. Paul is not telling Titus to kick these ones out of the church. He's not saying, get rid of them. They're no good. There's no grace for them. There's no love. There's no hope for them. If he did, he would say, Titus, clear house. Start again. Go, let's, let's ditch this. Go somewhere else. Or let's pick some brand new people, you know? Paul knows that in these false teachers, in these lying ones, in these evil beasts, in these empty talkers and deceivers, there is hope for spiritual healing. There is purpose. There is grace. There is love for them. There is hope that they may become spiritually healthy, that they may be revived from doing evil and transformed to doing good. The aim is not to cast these ones out, but instead point them to Christ. Sound teaching so that they may be spiritually restored and revived. 2 Peter 2.1 says this. It's talking about false teachers. It says, They, meaning false teachers, will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even going as far to deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. And they bring swift destruction to themselves. The primary, the, the primary um, outworking of their sinfulness is destruction to themselves. It's, it's, that's the primary working of sin in general, is destruction to self. Paul knows that because of their sinful actions, these false teachers, they, they bring upon themselves destruction. Paul's not just concerned with them leading others astray. He definitely is. He is also concerned with the fact that they are defiling themselves. They they have allowed sin to reign in their lives. It's it's terrible. But Paul Paul is saying they have essentially cast themselves out. That is what sin does. They have cast themselves out from relationship with God, from relationship with others, from truth, from everything that is good they have cast themselves out from. Their rebelliousness, their empty words, their deception and lying is not only doing damage to their households, but to themselves. This is the effect. This is the damaging effect that sin has. If you imagine that a child is, is told to not put their hand on a, on a hot stove by their parent, but does so anyway, who do they, who do, they do damage to primarily? They do damage to themselves primarily. They are damaged by their disobedience, are they not? Yet we know as well, it's not only the child who is pained by that action, but the parent who who watches on and sees that the child is in pain. They've, They've done damage to themselves. The parent is pained by that as well. They don't want their child to to go through with that. They don't want their child to continually damage themselves. It pains them. And so it's perfectly fitting for the parent to be sharp in their reprimand and, 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 and say, no, don't do that. That's, that. You need to obey me. Don't do that. They don't want their child to continue to do things that damage themselves. In the same way, the goal for these false teachers is that they would be revived to obedience in their father. 
that they would become sound in faith, that they would experience a transformation. They would know Christ in his fullness. They would be transformed in him. It's not a call to action for Titus to be unlovingly harsh. It's a call for Titus to demonstrate love through his reproving. Because you see, in, in Titus, if Titus silences these ones who are doing the, teaching the wrong thing, it is the most loving thing he could do because now they, he tells them, don't continue to do this. Stop teaching these falsehoods. Essentially, stop bringing destruction upon yourself. Stop letting sin reign in your life. Titus is, is loving them by reproving them. I feel that um, sometimes these passages can become weaponized um, by by. Certainly I feel it in my own heart, but can become weaponized by the church to be unloving towards those, uh, those fallen Christian leaders who have um, who've, who've done damage in, in their spheres. It seems that when we hear of false teachers we, um, and we hear of the, maybe some horrible things how, that they did or how their actions didn't line up with their words, we, we some we somehow think that there's a special set of rules for those ones. You know, we, we believe in our hearts that we're allowed to smear them or we're allowed to gossip about them. Oh, did you hear this? Did you hear how, oh, how, you know, what a, you know, shocking, what a terrible person. Um, we're allowed to maybe even want revenge on them. You're like, oh, I just, you know, I want to see him just um, lose everything, you know. We may even claim, no, no, this is righteous anger. Like this is, um, this is good anger. I should be angry at this person about this thing. We want to see their downfall. We certainly don't want them to be restored to sound faith. Do we? If, we? if we ask ourselves, do I want this person to be restored to sound faith? Sin must be put to death. Yes, don't get me wrong. Sin must be put to death. It must be silenced. False teachings must not happen. But if it is by means of sin to silence sin, than what has actually been achieved. Darkness cannot bring light to darkness. We must long as the salt of the earth, as the light of the earth, for those who have done wrong to be restored to Christ. We must long for sin to, not to reign in their hearts, but for Christ to reign in their hearts. And we must change our perspective to see false teachers in our world. And we, we all hear of them. We all potentially all talk about them as being in deep need of Christ. Deep need. We must not gain pleasure by watching them fall. There is no pleasure. There is no gain in sin. There's nothing good about sin. There is nothing to gain. Nothing good for those who are unbelieving. And so we need the heart of Christ to reign in us as we do this. For us to see uh, no pleasure in sin whatsoever or the sins of others, but instead to feel sorrow at any sin, to feel, to feel that sense of this is not how things should be and that, that is something to be sorrowful about. Yet as well, holding to the joy that the Father can and will revive those who come to him. There's immense hope at the same time. 
If there's, if there's unforgiveness in our hearts here tonight um, towards previous um, pastors or, or Christian leaders or teachers, then I, I want to encourage us to, to bring that into the light, to bring that to Christ and to not allow it to fester any longer, not allow it to, to, to gain a foothold. Let us be brought to a place where our, where our hearts break for those. Our hearts break for those who, who are proclaiming falsehoods because we know that the, ultimately the destruction is, is unto themselves and that we would be prayerfully um, asking that they'd be set free from deception and falsehoods and, and be brought into obedience to him. We worship a God of revival, don't we? We, we, we believe this. We, re, we worship a God of revival. A God whom through Jesus has reconciled all things to himself and made peace through his blood on the cross. We worship a God who forgives and who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth, don't we? This is our hearts. This is the God we worship. And so may our hearts and minds reflect this as we, as we navigate in our culture, as we scroll through our Facebook feeds, our social media feeds, as we hear stories in the media, as we hear gossip happening around, may our hearts reflect that of Christ. As we cautiously and wisely discern teaching of the faith, may our hearts be to know Christ and to love others unconditionally. We're going to worship tonight. I really, I didn't know how to sort of end this, but I think the response is, is, a, is a changed heart. We need, a cha- we need Christ's heart to, to reign in us. And we, we need him to, to, um, to fulfill our, our minds and hearts so that we would, we would see others how Christ sees them. Before I pray, before we, before we go to worship, let me just read this from Psalm 51.10. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let me pray. Lord, I pray right now that you would, you would create in us a pure heart. That you would renew us, Lord, that we would know your forgiveness and your, and your love and Lord, that we would know that same love extends to, to, to the most broken, to the ones who have done the most wrong. Your love extends to them. You long for them to come under your Lordship. So Lord, help us change our perspective, Lord. Change our perspective on, on sin. Allow us to, to, to not gain any pleasure, any any. Um, any joy in the downfall of others, but to see all sin as, as loss. And instead, Lord, be prayerfully lifting those up who are in need of you, who are bringing destruction upon themselves, Lord. Christ, we ask that you would, you would reign in our lives, in our hearts, that we'd be transformed into you, to be more like you, and that you would shine through us, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the, for the truth, the, the, the truth that brings life. 
and truth of your Son, your Holy Spirit, how you're reconciling all things to yourself. And Lord, we want to sing, we want to worship, and we do so, Lord, in the freedom that comes with knowing you and the joy that comes from knowing you as well, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray by your Spirit, speak to us now and be glorified in this, in this building, Lord. Be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in our thoughts, I pray, in our conversations with others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing um, God of Revival. Let's stand. Let's respond to Him. Let's give Him glory.
Father God, two things that I just feel was laid on my heart, but um, I, I don't know, Lord, I just, as we're singing those words, just the God of revival, you know, this has been a heart and our desire for so many years, Lord, that you might, that you might revive our hearts and awaken us and such a way that would never be the same again but it's not just for us it's for it's for your children it's for every single person through this city and throughout this nation and throughout this world and I just realised Lord that time and time again we've fallen short there's been leaders that have fallen short and it's because we're human, like we just, we don't get it right, we stuff up. There's two things that were laid in my heart, Lord, and the first was this. I just felt that corporately together in this moment, we just say sorry tonight for falling short. We just say sorry if we've hurt others. We just say sorry if we've led people astray, sometimes without even meaning to, great God. But as your children, I know that we haven't always got it right. But tonight in an attitude of humility, an attitude of repentance, we just ask that you might forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, great God, for falling short. We just humble ourselves before you, a mighty and holy God, but most importantly, a gracious God. You see our hearts, and just before you now, Lord, we just ask that you'd forgive us. You'd forgive us for maybe sending people in the wrong direction, the pain that we might have caused. And the other thing I sense as well, Lord, there's people in this room that have been hurt by leaders. There's been people, when you hear the story after story, there's no way I'd ever step foot back into a church because this happened or someone said this. And I just sensed, Tonight, if that's you, and I don't even know if I'm able to do this, but I just, I don't know, I just want to say sorry that that's happened. I'm so sorry that that's happened to you. And I just want to say tonight that people will let you down, but God never will. And He loves you so much. And maybe you've been hurt by someone but God will never let you down. He'll never let you down. And I just sense it may be an opportunity for you as well to just say in this moment right now, a holy moment to say, God, help me to forgive. Help me to be vulnerable again. Yes, it's hard to trust people and leaders may have let me down, but oh Lord, by Your grace and by Your mercy, would You fill me afresh with Your Spirit in such a way that I might be vulnerable again so that I might experience the full love of your church, your body, the full love of you in this moment. And I just need to give you an opportunity. Even maybe take a moment to forgive that leader. Maybe you never see, haven't seen him for the last 20 years, but something, something has impacted your life. I need to give you an opportunity to ask God to fill your heart afresh with love and grace and mercy. So why don't you do that now? And Father God, help us, Lord. 
We know we fall short. We know we fall short of the glory of You, but help us to live holy lives. Help us to lead with integrity, great God, with diligence. Help us to lead with love and grace and mercy in an attitude of Christ, great God. That's, that's the people we need to be, a people like Christ, great God. And I just sense, Lord, that we just needed to, just in this moment, this, this moment of repentance, we just need to sing one more time. I just know that as, I, as I've read about revivals and awakenings in the past, one of the fundamental things that, we, that, that is so present is an attitude of repentance. And in this moment, as we've just asked for forgiveness, I just sense that we just, it's important to just sing one more time that You might revive and awaken us, great God. That You might revive this city and might revive this nation, Father God. And so Lord, forgive us, but awaken us. Forgive us for all that You've done, great God, but awaken our hearts. It's been said before, Lord, the, uh, the revival isn't a, a, a church full of people, but a people full of God. And that's what we need, Your presence and in our hearts and in our lives, just a fullness of You, great God. And so we just sing one more time, would, would You revive us? Would You awaken us, great God? We just cry out to You just one more time, Father God. Do Come that in our hearts and do that in our people. souls, great God, we pray. Come awaken the city. God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble, hear the chains hit the ground. God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Come awaken your people, come awaken the city. God of revival, pour the cry and the prayer of our heart, great God. Thank You that You're faithful. Thank You that we may be let down by others, but Your Word says that You'll never leave us nor forsake us. You're a faithful, gracious and loving Father, the greatest Father anybody could ever encounter. I know it, God. I know. I know the character of You. You're amazing, incredible and remarkable. We can trust You. We can trust You with our lives, great God. We honour You tonight. We love You so much, Lord, and uh, we just thank You for all that You've done. We worship You in Jesus' mighty and precious Name. Amen. Amen. Hey, so good to uh, have you out tonight. Uh, great to have you here. Great to have you online as well. But, um, you know, if you want prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you so you can come down the front afterwards and receive prayer or up to our prayer lounge out the back as well. There's a team there that would love to pray for you. Uh, but God bless you. Have an awesome uh, week and uh, we'll see you soon. That'd be great. God bless.